The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 11th chapter. The Gospel is printed on the back of your bulletin, so you can follow, or you can follow along in a few Bibles on page 823. Many people spread their folks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Word of God, word of life. Our preaching text this morning comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 5 and 6, selected verses. That reading is printed on the back of your bulletins, or if you'd care to follow along in your pew Bibles, it begins on page 243. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be shepherd of my people, Israel. You who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Moving to chapter 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from baal Jadah to bring up from there the Ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs, and lyres, and harps, and tambourines, and castanets, and cymbals. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was just up north uh, in East Grand Forks for a quick trip to see my folks in the last couple of days. And while up there, I got to thinking about my brother's house, which is just down the road, maybe 300 yards away from my parents' house. It's a beautiful home. We built it together, my dad and my brother and I, with help from the rest of our family back in 1995. A great project. But I remember well that summer day during construction when a windstorm came through and blew all the first story walls down. And if you've ever seen that, the wind doesn't usually very, do a very neat job of that kind of work. Um, 
And so the studs and plywood were twisted every which way. It was a very disheartening afternoon. I remember my brother saying that he just kind of wanted to walk away and never come back. Now you'd never know that today by looking at his house. But back then it was, it was really a mess. And that's, that's a lot like life sometimes, I think. Right? We walk around, we look at others, and we think how wonderful their, their lives must be based on how well put together they look. But we never know, right, the messiness that lurks right beneath the surface, right? And we know that truth from our own lives, too. Again, like I said to the kids, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just me. But some days we might look like we've really got it all together, but we know the truth of what lies deep within, the burdens and struggles that we carry around, that, that life is often deeply troubling and, and messy. For people like us living messy, complicated lives, I think it's so important to remember that Scripture is full of messy stories too. Right? The covers of our Bibles can look so beautiful and ornate, with gold leaf on the side, like this processional Bible that sits in our pulpit. That's so pretty, isn't it? But I gotta say, I kind of prefer my uh, duct tape Bible. It's on its second uh, helping of duct tape over the years. Kind of a reminder that the stories inside are often, uh, often stories of, of pretty messy and complicated and troubled characters too. Like the stories that we've been hearing throughout our journey in the Old Testament this fall. In the creation story from Genesis 1, even as we heard these beautiful verses about God making order out of chaos, um, crafting human relationship, these really beautiful verses, we couldn't help but notice between the lines that life often comes up well short of those hoped-for ideals that the Creator wants from the universe. The following week, we heard the story of Isaac's birth, the story of God providing a long-awaited child to Abraham and Sarah, but it's also the story of a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old becoming parents for the first time. Can you imagine, right? Couldn't God have been faithful just a little sooner? Then we entered into the story of Jacob. And, and again, this beautiful story uh, where we celebrated Esau's forgiveness for his brother, how Jacob saw the face of God, experienced such love and grace from his brother Esau. But you know, forgiveness like that means Jacob must have really screwed up somewhere along the way and, and mistreated his brother. In fact, he did. We remembered that the line of God's people includes this person named Jacob, this trickster, who stole the blessing, stole the inheritance from his big brother Esau. Moses' story, a story of God liberating his people from slavery, is a, is a wonderful story of deliverance, but it, it also forces us to ask really difficult questions about God, too. Like, why did it take 400 years for God to listen to the cries of his people? Why, why did so many innocent children have to die in order for God's people to be free? Last week, we, we heard the story of Ruth, 
And Pastor Megan reminded us that not only is the story of Ruth a story of death, but it's the story of an unusual family, a Jewish widow and her Moabite daughter-in-law, a fellow widow as well, by the way. And this Moabite woman, Ruth, became David, the David we're talking about today, became his great-grandmother. So not, not just foreign blood in the royal line, but a Moabite woman. You have to understand, Moabites were one of Israel's chief enemies in those days. So Moabite blood in the lineage of King David, and of course then, by extension, in the lineage of Jesus himself. It's kind of a mess, right? Story after story, this fall, each of them full of their own com complexity, Right? And today's story is no exception, which you're thinking, oh, I don't know, it seemed like a pretty neat and tidy story there, ain't it? Um, that's because we only read a few verses. <laughs> we kind of skipped over some other stuff, right? If you look more deeply, um, it, it's kind of a messy story. It's a story of David being embraced as king by all 12 tribes of Israel, which is a big deal. And then later he sends... Um, for the Ark of the Covenant, a sign that David, he's going to try to be a king who is faithful to God. And the rest of Israel danced before the Ark. It's a, it's a beautiful story. But if you look a little more closely, there's some hints that there's more going on. Look, in verse 2 of chapter 5, we get our first glimpse into the mess of the story. The, what do the people say? They say, well, Saul was king over us. Kind of that reference to one who was king right before David, he, and Saul, in, in the end of his reign, was not a very good king. The reign of Saul became so oppressive that the people had to be led out. That word led out is the same word that's used to describe the deliverance of God's people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. God's people had endured so much hardship under the kingship of Saul that they had to be led out as they did during their time of slavery in Egypt. Couldn't God have picked a better king than Saul? And when we move into the next chapter, King David, yes, he wants his rule in Jerusalem to start out well by centering God's people on the word of God and God's covenant. So David calls for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought to the city. little backstory about the Ark. The Ark was the very presence of God box that they carried from place to place during their time of being nomads. Inside was, uh, were some, uh, some important artifacts, a jar that had a little piece of manna, that bread that showed up every day in the wilderness that they gathered and ate. Okay? Also the tablets of the Ten Commandments were in there. So the ark was, was basically the portable presence of God. They didn't have a temple in those days, so the ark was, was the very center of a portable worship center called the Tabernacle. And so David wanted to center God's people on the covenant. He wanted to make God's word the center, which is a great and wonderful thing. But it's kind of messy too, because David doesn't bother to follow the directions that God had given to his people about how to handle the ark with reverence. And instead of having the priests carry the ark, as God instructed, so they could feel the weight of it. This was a really important thing. David decides to put it on a cart. On a cart. The only other people that ever put the ark on the cart were the Philistines, Israel's enemies. 
So not a good move from King David, but you know, he thought he was in charge, so oops. The story continues to be messy because as the, as the ark moves forward from, from these verses, they're dancing before the ark, suddenly they hit uneven ground and, and the, the ark begins to tip. And one of the people who was attending to the ark, Uzzah, reaches up and puts his hand on the ark. And the instructions were, nobody touches the ark. But David didn't bother reminding the ark attendants of those rules. And so Uzzah is struck dead, as the Lord had warned. And, the, and, and suddenly now David is afraid of the ark, and he leaves it with someone else for three months. It's kind of some foreshadowing in the story, too, by the way. David, David is faithful. David's also passionate, sometimes impulsively passionate. I bet some of you are thinking of a story a little later in your Bibles, about the day that David impulsively calls beautiful Bathsheba to his home, compels her to sleep with him, even though she is the wife of another man, a man who is off at war. That's a messy story for another time, maybe. But for our story today, it's enough to remember that though David seeks to be faithful, another part of him is impulsive and short-sighted and, and broken. Like us, right? Like every leader, like every pastor, like every teacher, like every person we thought was going to make everything right. And yet even as we acknowledge that truth about ourselves and about our leaders, about the other people in our lives, we must cling as well to this deeper truth. That in the midst of, of all of that messiness, the faithfulness of God remains. King David secures his reign and begins one of the longest political dynasties in human history. And not only was, was Israel strong politically, God's people were largely centered on God's word during David's rule. David wasn't perfect. The people weren't perfect. But the reign of David was a time when God was active in the messy lives of his people. It's why David really is so beloved in Scripture. Because he was broken, but faithful. And God showed up time and time again in the midst of that brokenness. Which shouldn't surprise us, right? It shouldn't surprise us when we find God. Maybe the better way to say that is when God finds us in the midst of our messiness and our brokenness. Because that, that's the central story of our faith, right? In the person of Jesus Christ, God shows up in the midst of brokenness. Jesus, born in a barn, raised far away from the political epicenter, calling not the qualified to be leaders in his kingdom, but ordinary fishermen, tax collectors. This Jesus was brutally executed on a cross, but there was God, even in the midst of that brokenness and that messiness. And so it continues for God's people struggling in the midst of our messy, broken lives to keep God at the center. That's the church, right? Walking messes, right? You can wipe your feet as much as you want to when you walk in here. Please do, by the way. But you're still dragging your own messiness in with you. And Emmanuel must be a place where we embrace that none of us is perfect. Each of us is a work in progress. We don't always sing the right note. Some of you struggle to sing at all. I've noticed that. It's okay. 
Sometimes pastors have to tell truths, you know. <laughs> but right, and we sometimes we get caught up in, in, in destructive gossip, and we, we forget how to be generous and gracious and loving. Again, that might just be me. Um, but we grumble and we complain sometimes about trivial things. We, we are a whole host of folks caught up in sin and death and grief and struggle, folks who at times can be short-tempered and ill-mannered and forgetful. This is who we are, in bondage to sin and all the messes that come with it. This is, this is the church into which young Theo was baptized today, a place where he will bring his own gifts and his own messiness and promise to walk alongside other gifted and messy and mess makers in the congregation and in Christ's church around the world. And yet, day after day, moment by moment, God is faithful. And so are we. In our own messy ways, we are faithful too. So welcome once again to this messy, broken place we call the church, the home of misfits, scoundrels, and sinners of all kinds, but the home also of a God who is determined to love and redeem his people nonetheless. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen.